needs to sit back. The doctor should look at it as soon as possible. It is the way in which we propagate our species. Hi, and welcome to Casual Trek, a Star Trek recap and ranking podcast, brought to you by Nerd and Tie and short attention spans. I'm Charlie Etheridge Nunn. I'm a writer and a fan of the short story writer Kelly Link. Hi, I'm Mars Reed Lobato, a science fiction writer and a fan of Quibi. Uh, okay, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of Quibi. No one's a fan of Quibi. I saw you said you didn't want to say Quibi on the show notes. And for, I can either say Harlan Ellison or Quibi. And what would Harlan Ellison do? Probably mail a dead gopher to Quibi. Yeah, yeah, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so normally we watch stories from different Star Trek shows and rank them on a big list of best to worst. But this episode... We're doing something slightly different. In fact, for all of November, we're going to be having a look at the Short Trek series and putting it on its own short list. Before we go on, Miles, what non-Star Trek thing have you been enjoying since we last spoke? Remind me, Charlie, did I talk about The Exorcist last week? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's off because got we're, we're recording this earlier than usual, so my, my schedule's kind of been weird. Um, Actually... I know what I have enjoyed this last week. Oh, yeah. I rewatched Exorcist 2, The Heretic, which is the sequel to one of the most critically acclaimed horror films of all time, where a Hollywood executive went, well, um, Friedkin doesn't want to do a sequel. Is the guy who just did Zardoz out of movie jail yet? And then <laughs> he proceeds to take a huge like line of cocaine and goes, because I want that guy. Um. Exodus to the Heretic, in our current era where films are rebooted to be super loyal reboot trilogies, where it's all where the original film is treated as some um, high gospel, mm. like with the Exorcist Believer, which is coming out soon, which I have no interest in seeing. It's fun to watch a sequel. Everyone involved just went right. Fuck it, we are gonna go insane. We're going to introduce psychic powers. We're going to introduce um, weird African racism. We're going to get James Earl Jones, and we're going to stick him in a locust costume and scream. We're going to get Ennio Morricone to do the score. Wow. The film isn't great, but it's so insane in the swings it makes. It's entertaining for that. Also, Richard Burton has that wonderful, deep Welsh tenor of voice, and that's honestly mm. worth the price of admission. Oh, always good. So, Charlie, what about you? What non-Star Trek thing did you watch this week? Well, I watched a short by Wes Anderson. Oh, and uh, Henry Sugar? Yeah, the wonderful story of Henry Sugar. It's... um. It's not a Roald Dahl story that I was really aware of, having only followed him when I was, you know, a tiny child. Yes. Wes Anderson is very Wes Anderson in this, but gloriously so, with a a limited cast and a, you know, what, network TV show amount of time. He manages to uh, to spin a fantastic yarn going from person to person to person, kind of in a matrioshka of stories, 
and the purposeful artifice. Um, you can't really say that Wes Anton movies are deeply immersive or you feel like you're you're there because there's always a, a sense of wonderful artificiality from the way people are posed, the way the filters on the cameras are, the way that color feels and um, just the whole vibe of it. And this even more so as you have um, Ray Fiennes being Roald Dahl talking to camera and quite blatantly talking to camera. So the the lighting even changes every time the camera on him changes. And then when we shift scene, he's there chatting to you and you get literal like props and sets and people doing quickly adjusting like Ben Kingsley's wig and tr sorting out his moustache or um, you get people like Richard Ayoade who plays a, a doctor in one scene and he's playing a yogi in another one so even with the the cast they reuse the work and they play around with the mechanisms in all of the sets which obviously aren't sets in the real world they're fake exaggerated weird sets they're theatrical yeah and even things like um richard ayoade is a yogi hovering on the ground and all he did was got a crate turned it one direction and it's painted the same as the backdrop <laughs> and the camera moves slightly to make sure that it fits did did you see asteroid city this year no no i do want to... oh asteroid city is amazing and this definitely feels like a step beyond some of the things that they do in asteroid city but you know this isn't a this isn't a wes anderson podcast no no i realize Okay, I am now in Wes Anderson tradition, going to turn to the left in an audio medium. So, Charlie, tell us about short tracks. Oh, so that's my left, not your left. Yes, uh, stage, oh, stage left. Thank you, thank you. We need to keep these things accurate for the audience at home. Um, yeah, so the short tracks were originally made mainly because the VFX was taking so long on Star Trek Discovery that they needed something to put out there. And these were all little short episodes, some of which tie into the Star Trek uh, series that was going on at the time. Most of the time, that's uh, Discovery. But sometimes they get to play with the format a bit and have some fun with it. And a lot was shot on set. And even with that, that means when they actually go out on location they film stuff out there as well. So they did do a really nice job with what they what they had. Um, some shows like Heroes and Lost would do webisodes where it was either people farting around while filming other things or um, like little side stories that felt fairly, fairly unambitious. But with this... I think the shine on a lot of Discovery and what would become Strange New Worlds definitely helps this seem like, even if these are, what, 8 to 15 minutes long, there's some some real effort been put in. So yeah, and we ought to make a start because we're ranking four things for this episode. Um, the entire first season of Short Treks. So our first episode is titled Runaway. 
It aired on the 4th of October 2018. It was written by Jenny Lumet and Alex Kurtzman, directed by uh, Maya Villarvillo. And um, the UK and US number one hits. Yeah, we did those for these. I don't know why. Um, the UK had Calvin Harris and Sam Smith with Promises. And the US had Maroon 5 with Cardi B and Girls Like You. Uh, I did not watch the video for the latter one. I watched the Todd in the Shadows video review of Maroon 5's Girls Like You because he is always a joy to watch when he goes off on one about Maroon 5. I, I admit I never watched the music videos for these. I just stick them on... Um... Just go to Apple Music, pick, pull them up. Th this one, because I had to listen to 12 episodes worth of music, I did have to make a, Sp a Spotify playlist. The songs, these songs were fine. Like, Promise Promises definitely sounds like um, Brighton Nightclub Fair. Yeah, um, I was watching these with Emma after, after a, a morning of writing, and... Uh, she was saying that Sam Smith doesn't sound as as trying trying too hard as they've been in the last few years, and I think it's because it was more a Calvin Harris joint, and it's definitely got that kind of slightly slightly hazy nightclub kind of thing. Like I don't know if you ever went to Medusa Bar on Preston Street, no, but it it had this kind of slightly orangey tone and these blinds that the sun would get through almost like some kind of colorful film noir and with that and cigarette smoke you'd get that kind of vibe from it i, I never went to cool the few times i went to clubs when i lived in brighton i never went to cool clubs i it was it would be i would end up at a club with some with some people from work which meant boring like seafront places ah yeah um, and yeah, Maroon 5, I, I despise. I don't care for. And yeah, this song, it sticks in the head more than a lot of their work, but I still am not a fan. I, I am aware of their work. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'll get recapping us. All right. Okay. I've got my timer and for the audience at home, instead of five minutes, we are going to try and recap each one in two minutes. Or in Charlie's case, four. Thanks. You're welcome. Thanks. I, I like your confidence. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, I send the big list. I I feel my confidence is, is uh, perfectly proportioned. Yeah, if I ever find the, the patience to go back and re-listen to the episodes I forgot to list the, uh, the overrun time on, we'll actually be able to calculate who overruns for most out of the two of us. I think it would be you, but I know that every time I overrun, I overrun. So that might that might skew the results a bit. Anyway, I need you, Charlie Efridge Nunn, to run, 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 run away. And go. So, some cargoes being dropped off on Discovery. Only one of the pods contains a person. Oh, no, they're invisible and with glowing blood like a tiny predator. Uh, Tilly is off in her room getting judged by a hologram of her mum. She screams into a pillow, goes to the canteen, orders girl, some ice cream. Girl, been there. Uh, yeah, 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 I was going to say, <laughs> she, she goes and gets a strong coffee and some ice cream, and I know those feelings very girl, well. been there. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, 
yeah, something blurs past, committing the cardinal sin of spilling coffee. Till he sees the glowing blood and everything goes all poltergeist for a second. And it 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 decloaks and it's a girl. Only she's a little hedgehoggy with some little spines that are coming out of her back, and she sounds a bit feral. And Tilly says, Oh, this is a Zahian, a species who just discovered warp. Um, the girl tastes some of Tilly's ice cream, likes it. Tilly offers her more, opens a communicator up, and hey, we can talk now. Um, the girl is a bit of a braggart to be honest and tilly says well you can't be all that if you didn't invent ice cream um which yeah fair uh the girl is poe and yes like the teletubby uh she doesn't want to be shopped into the authorities and cloaks when other people turn up tilly blames this on an escaped space rabbit um the pair end up becoming friends back at tilly's quarters and apparently poe's people mind dilithium and she built an incubator to recrystallize it and stop the need for more mining of the planet, who she thinks of as her twin. The people in Zahia aren't listening to her, which Tilly can relate to. Um, the other big twist here is Poe's brother was king, only he's dead. So she's due for a coronation and people won't listen to her when she's queen. <sighs> so, yeah, she, she will go back. She will get crowned and she gives Tilly a little dilithium crystal before she goes. Oh. Oh, 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 oh. yeah, I'm I'm going to be charitable and say you overran by one second. OK, OK. Actually, you know, what? I'm going to give it free because I did interrupt twice. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If we want to be challenging sometime, we should drop the five minute timer and try just a minute rules and try and recap oh, no. these episodes about hesitation, repetition, or deviation. God, that feels like it'd be an interesting challenge. That, that um, would indeed be magic to make the sanest man go mad. Hey, hey, hey discovery reference. I understood that reference because I made it. Yeah. So, yeah, this one, it was fine. I, for some reason, I thought this was the. Tilly has an imaginary friend story arc that this linked to, but it's a different Tilly story of her befriending things and people, um, which in this case is just before, well, not just before, but this is set before Such Sweet Sorrow in Discovery Season 2, Episode 13, where she will meet Poe when she's, you know, a queen. And it is that thing of, oh, yeah, you're a smart scientist, you're not listened to all of that. And then my my violin gets a lot smaller when it's, you're not going to get listened to because, oh, you're going to be queen and ruling everything. And it's like, well, yeah, my, my sympathy goes a little less you, far. You, you can tell we're British. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, disdain for a monarchy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this made me realise how long it's been since I've watched any of Star Trek Discovery not for this show because i'm like oh yeah it's tilly the, the the second best character yeah we like tilly like i can relate to tilly she problem solves with espresso yeah yeah exactly just yeah stress eats and um yeah and ends up falling about creating a bit of a mess in the canteen which again been there been there 
Yeah, it's it's fine. Like the commentary on it was quite nice with um with the writers going into why they were doing all of these and and yeah, I get that it's kind of a generally good thing going, hey, check out these two girls getting confident, loving science, all that sort of thing. Um it's just yeah. Yeah. The, the royal thing is like, oh, why you you didn't need to throw this in there? Um, yeah. So the thing is, we normally have a big list of best to worst, which currently has seventy six items on it. It will be seventy nine by the time you folks are hearing this. Um, this is quite an easy decision of where to place it on this separate short list. Fifth, I think it should go fifth. Miles, you, you just have to be difficult. I do. I mean, if it's fifth, it's still the best and worst. <laughs> yes, but it's still currently episode. fifth on the list. A list of when it's fifth on a list of one. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, I, I was shocked seeing the special effects and seeing it look like an actual proper episode, given um, this is just, you know, little bits of farting around between seasons. This is what uh, people in like in in the Doctor Who fandom would call uh, VAM value adding material. Okay, well, I didn't realize you guys had a because like Doctor Who DVDs and Blu-rays are like an encyclopedia of documentaries, features, special bonus content, interviews. Because we're Doctor Who fans and we get a tad obsessive. So. <laughs> Yeah, outside of Heroes and Lost, I realised as you were saying that about Doctor Who. Um, I've I've been a fan of the Degrassi, like Canadian high school drama slash just weird Canadian trauma machine, um, which is amazing. The place where Drake got school shooted, and um, you know, all manner of horrors ended up happening. A kid had a fight club. Well, got in a fight club. <laughs> what? Uh, he'd gone through some issues. He had ADHD. He had ball cancer. He was going through shit because you've only got so many cast members, and that means all of the issues kind of stack. And um, they did the grassy minis, um, which included whole mini series ones where it was just what if there was a zombie invasion in the grassy. Uh, Okay, what if there was a Terminator situation? And sometimes there'd be stuff in for, in like continuity. Uh, they even did a first person episode with a character that was so awful you never actually saw her on screen. So they they decided, okay, we'll do an episode from her perspective, but you'll still never see her as she was very much in that Maris kind of space of like between all the descriptions you couldn't get a real person. Gotcha. Out of them. All right. Yeah. yeah. So next we are on to it's amazing finishing the first one at 20 minutes in. We are on to episode two titled Calypso. Um, this aired on the 8th of November 2018 with a teleplay by Michael Shabon, um, story by Sean Cochran and Michael Shabon, and directed by Olatunde Osun Sanmi. Sanmi? Osunsanmi. Olatun. I think it's pronounced Olatunde. Olatunde Osunsanmi. 
the UK and US number one hits. The UK had Lady Gaga with Shallow uh, from the... A Star is Born. Yeah. And the Maroon 5 are back, so we'll not cover them in the US. Um, yeah, the Lady Gaga one, I I never saw A Star is Born. No. And really, acting-wise, what I want to see from Lady Gaga generally is what she gives us in in spades in American Horror Story. This was fine. It was a fine track. It, again, just was not what I go to Lady Gaga no. for. So, Miles, you're the one who's going to be recapping Calypso in two minutes. Why have I set my timer for 15 minutes? You do not have 15 minutes to to do this one. Um, so, good luck, and I'll see you in a thousand years. Betty Boop, cartoons are playing in a space pod as a man is in hypersleep. Um, his escape shuttle uh, drifts past a ship which is drifting alone in space. That ship is Discovery. Um, he wakes up in the sick bay, and a voice tells him to go to that locker and put on a suit. Having played like Bioshock and Halo, we're probably going to be in, in some first-person shooter territory here. So um, he gets he gets dressed. Um, the disembodied voice who calls itself Zora um, asks what his name is, and he says his name is Kraft. He explores the discovery, which has been which has been abandoned. Apparently, the ship was abandoned for a thousand years, and the only thing that exists on it is the ship's AI, which now calls itself Zora. And Zora helps Craft kind of just sort of recover from his wounds and rehabilitate and rehabilitates. Um, she teaches him the importance of Taco Tuesday and Earth culture, including including the um the film Funny Face which is a old Fred Astaire Technicolor musical. Uh, it turns out he's a soldier from a who was fighting in a war 10 years ago, and he stole an enemy pod and escaped. Um, his home planet is just in reach, which he could potentially make with the Discovery's single unnamed shuttle. Um, Discovery itself can make the distance, but um, Zora was under orders by the last captain, to not move from this spot. So she's kind of stuck there. Um, not wanting to risk it. Um, Zora and Kraft kind of start kind of get, you know, start really getting along. Zora tries to simulate his home for him using the sounds of the beach and sharing. Oh, that's a two minutes. Let's see. I'm kind of very quickly. Okay. Continue. Kraft wants to do something for Zora because she's always doing something for him. So he learns the dance moves uh, from the Fred Astaire movie, uh, gets like a copy of the suit from the replicators, and then gets her to manifest herself as hologram. But instead of the woman who had the actress from the film, he asks her to appear as how she sees herself. Um, he, he's trying, you know, because she thinks she's not human, but obviously Kraft thinks that she is they have a dance they have a little romantic moment which makes craft realize man i i love my wife and my kid this is this is awkward and um i don't like this and zora's saying hey i'm not real it's okay and craft's like no you're real and he decides to risk it for a biscuit with the remaining with the remaining shuttlecraft um she they make their final goodbyes and as he leaves 
we find out that the unnamed shuttlecraft has now been given the name Funny Face. And Discovery carries on. So that's one minute 16 over. But yeah. So, Miles, are you a fan of the Odyssey? Um, I am aware. Of, I'm aware of their work. I mean, okay. Here is the thing. I think the most experience I've ever had with the Odyssey is the French-Japanese co-produced cartoon Ulysses Thirty One, which is awesome. And when you're watching at like five thirty in the morning at eight year, at like eight years old, is some trippy shit. Oh my god, it was fantastic. I um when I was a kid, my dad was studying. Uh, Greco-Roman ancient history at Sussex Uni and um, we got all of this coming into us for years so the Odyssey is 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 a thing I'm very aware of um, specifically most recently through the amazing book by Madeline Miller called Circe which covers her her kind of experience of before uh, during and after Odysseus's visit but this like Calypso was a nymph who kept Odysseus around for seven years, and he kind of he was missing his wife, despite you know fucking around with a nymph and having been to war and been traveling around for ages, and um, yeah, eventually he decided right no I need to actually make a go of this and head home, and. Um, yeah, so that's where the title comes from. I watched this and was like, oh, this is the good shit. This is the kind of stuff that you can't easily do as just a one-off episode of Discovery. Like, this this feels very kind of Twilight, like Twilight Zone anthology of the week. I felt like maybe there'd be a bit more rummaging around in the remnants of the crew and seeing signs of who they were, but I guess... At this point, they didn't know who would be ending the show um, on that. And who knows? We're about to hit the final season, so we might end up revisiting what happens with Zora here. Hell, we didn't even have Zora as a a ship-based intelligence in season two when this aired. Um, I think before season two. Whenever this aired, basically. Um, season three, we get Zora as an actual entity on the ship. So it's kind of cool getting this little glimpse and um, this weird future, which, of course, is even further in the future now we've hit season three. Um, well, three and four, and that's set vastly in the future from the from the original disco. I, I feel I'm showing my hand slightly as to where I feel this. I really enjoyed it. I think that the actor who um, plays Craft does a really good job interacting with a voice, which, you know, for some actors, that is a difficult thing to pull off. But he, he definitely, I think he's, he was in, um, was it in, not Endeavor. Um, what's the high show by John Rogers? Oh, leverage. Leverage. I think he was in leverage. Oh, that's him. God, it's been so long since I've seen leverage. Um, it's one of those shows I enjoyed season one of and just never yeah. you know, followed through with. But yeah, um, he was good. I I totally get what you mean about this is very much the setup of any FPS where it's like, yes, quick, this AI voice will get you to go to this locker. 
get dressed. Here's some armor. Here's a pulse rifle. Run out. And we're going to basically starship troopers or aliens. Like, like there's bit. two steps away from, you know, from uh, Zora going, okay, now get a wrench. Now, would you kindly kill that splicer? Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, I, you know, out of our list of two, I, this was great. Like this was yeah. this could be a like a science fiction short film in its own right. It has like mm. n- little like li- apart from the setting of discovery itself, it doesn't have it's not even like that much trek related. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think for me I solidly reckon this is number 1 out of the yep. two that we've got. Number 1 with a dance number. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, we always like a dance number. Um, I say that at some point we'll cover very short tracks, and I'll have some opinions on some of the <sighs> music and things like that. Yeah, we 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 committed to watching everything, didn't we? <laughs> oh, why why did we do this? I don't think we anticipated very short tracks happening. No, I I did it because I like your company. Uh, then you're a fool. You're a fool. I don't even. I don't even like my company. <laughs> oh no. Okay. So moving swiftly on, um, we have episode three, which is titled "The Brightest Star." It aired on the sixth of December, twenty eighteen. Um, it was written by Bo Young Kim and Erica Lippolt. And directed by Douglas Arniakoski. The UK and US hits were the same hit, which was Ariana Grande with Thank You Next. And I, I really want to be a bitch and just say thank you next. Wow. See, I'm a big fan of Mean Girls, so I definitely appreciate the homage. And thanks to the War Rocket Ajax Discord, um, I have felt peer pressured into joining a lot of them on a mission of watching the worryingly long Quinton Reviews videos about Nickelodeon shows. I've seen 13, 13 hours about Victorious. I've never known what Victorious was until now. So that part of me that's been gaslit into noticing... See, okay, at least you had an excuse... It's not a good excuse. So even though I'd seen this mentioned in a Todd in the Shadows video, I had a bit more of an appreciation after being gaslit into being invested in the varied actors um, that had been in Victorious, which ultimately serves no purpose. And I will still never watch that show, but I've seen 13 hours about that show. As long as the fact that since Tim Russ is both in Voyager and iCarly doesn't yeah. send you off an iCarly rabbit hole. Because like there are a few things, you know, there are many things I'll do for love, but I won't do that. And I don't know who any of those actors in iCarly was, because of course I saw the iCarly videos before seeing those. And I was like, it's Tim Russ! It's a person I recognize. That brother who I saw in a fleeting clip at first, I was like, is Jerry O'Connell in this? No. No, no. sadly, no. He's in He's in the Big Bang Theory. Uh, anyway, moving on. Brightest Are you sure you want three. any of this <laughs> on a podcast? Are you sure you want to admit to any of this, Charlie? 
And I, we're 37 minutes in and we're on our third episode. It might stay in just if, like, if we're that short. Otherwise, there's a lot that we can remove okay. here. A lot of dead weight. All right. <laughs> here we go. You have two minutes to talk about this episode. Go. Yes. Brighter star. Ooh, we're on Kaminar, a planet filled with lens flare and Kelpians. Saru and some other Kelpians are farming in a river while Saru narrates a bit of a story here. Boom, flash. It's night and everyone's scared. People are being sent off to harvest in, frankly, the most folk horror way that I've seen in a Star Trek. There's a big obelisk. Everyone's in robes. Saru spies on this from afar, watching as the obelisk flashes and everyone vanishes. Saru's dad is one of the robed cultists who let all this happen and is not keen on a discovery Saru has made. Some bit of unfamiliar tech and reckons maybe this is forbidden so we should get rid of it. Saru asks some questions which does not go well. This is not a culture who cares for questions. The dad says, you know, we've all got our place in this world. And Saru, he's not a fan of that. He sneaks a look at the technology and sends a message out using it. Uh, when farming the next day, Saru goes about his life, plays some dice. At night, he checks for messages and what, and we see the obelisk ominously humming in the distance. One night, though, there's a hello on the space tablet. So... um. Yeah, that's great. And eventually, Sarah gets a message saying, today, uh, which, as a man who's not happy of a life of just waiting to be sacrificed, Sarah's down with this. He goes off a wandering with his sister, and they get far enough out that um, she wants to flee. He says he wants to stay behind and watch the stars, and tells her to stay safe. And she leaves in that cool, wavy arm, Kelpian walk kind of way. Uh, you know, that Doug Jones way. Um, a shuttle lands, and while Saru's fear tendrils flare up, he remains behind. It's Giorgio! Yay! The original one! They talk for a translator, and the tech was stolen from the oh. bowel. Oh, almost. 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 Alright. Okay. Stop, watch, and go. Yeah, he turned it into a communicator, which is an exceptional feat for a pre-warp culture. Uh, Giorgio did a lot of work making an exception for rules and allowing him to come up into space. He'll never be able to go home again. He looks out at his village and then decides to leave. 22 seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm really pleased they got to use the set that they were at. Because um, they filmed this at the same time as they did the Kelpian episode. And that way it's not like, oh, yeah, here's the main episode. Here's some soundstage. Um I forget most of what happened with the ominous humming obelisk, but it wasn't good. It, well, it wasn't pleasant. No, it, it's like uh, it's it's what big humming obelisks do when it, the harvest is involved. Yeah, yeah. Anytime people talk about the harvest, it's pretty bad. The nineteen seventies uh, Quatermass serial, which is the fourth and final in the Quatermass series, where it turns out that stone circles are actually used by Lovecraftian space aliens to harvest the young of the planet Earth to feed off of. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, we're this is you know, this this episode, we're we're briefly in some midsummer territory. At least no Kelpians yeah. jumped off a rock and had to be brained to death. 
Oh man, that film. Oh man, I I saw it in the cinema. Mm, same. I may have mentioned this on the podcast before. The reason I went to see see Midsommar was because a co-worker went to see it the day before and he was pissed. Like the film made him angry and just like the emotional intensity of his rage made, made me go, right, I'm going to the budget cinema right now. It's after work to go see this because nice. I want to see what created such a visceral reaction. This is not a Midsommar podcast, which would be, I don't know, six episodes in the field of chanting. This is a Star Trek podcast. So God Saru and Doug Jones are the best things about Discovery. Oh my god. Like, I love that they got a whole bunch of people trying to ape Doug Jones' movements. He moves so uniquely and weirdly. It's what makes him perfect for any of these kind of roles. Watching other people try and do it, it's like, oh. Mm -hmm. You you tried. You tried. It was interesting seeing the, the notes on this episode. Apparently Doug Jones didn't think this was the way that the culture was going to go. Um, he figured it, they were a bit more just like cattle or anything from the first season. And then when he saw this, he was like, actually, no, this this is good. Yeah, rightfully so. Yeah, yeah it's a good fun one. Like, again, you got like a nice little, like, you know, you got to set it up. It shows that what makes Saru like a really good multifaceted character, because even though he's a character for a good chunk of the first series, kind of dominated by his fear and his ability to detect fear and death. He does still have that spark within him, which allows him to push against his his own, his own nature mm. to to satisfy what he wants from his life in the universe. Yeah, I I like that, especially given that as time goes on, you get quite dissatisfied at the concept of uh, Star Trek races being monocultures and seeing someone breaking out, like, See, seeing it all from their perspective. Saru and Kelpins, I don't think it really counts as a monoculture, because that's quite literally just a defense mechanism of his people. He's quite literally, in the same way, like, you could say that Star Trek is about how humans can battle their own worst primitive nature to become something like the Federation and Starfleet. Yeah. Saru is also, you know, a being who is in conflict with his his own primitive nature and how that conflict allows him to achieve so much. Yeah, yeah, I like that. How we can all all ascend from, uh, you know, to something a bit more. Um, but yeah, it was good fun. Question is, I guess, like, I still think I prefer Calypso to this. Where does it stand compared to Runaway? Fourth. <laughs> uh, i i think this goes under calypso i think this is like for for now it's a it's a good second yeah yeah it's it's one of those things of it's good and we learn about these people like tilly we kind of know a lot of her feelings a lot of how she's had to grow and change and that is kind of in the show already and we're not going to get any world changing epiphanies for her there but getting this key bit of backstory is lovely for Saru. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's me again. Yeah, finally. We're back round to to you for the final episode of this season of Short Trek. Um, yeah, this one is The Escape Artist. It aired on the 3rd of January 2019. Written by Michael McMahon. It was his first Star Trek work. 
and directed by is it Ryan Wilson? I always forget. I think so. Rain Wilson. Rain. Yeah, that's it. Directed by Rain Wilson. The UK number one hit was Ava Max with Sweet But Psycho. And the US had Ariana Grande still with Thank You Next. Um, I said something very cruel in the chat about Ava Max. Oh, did you? I, I might have. I I did feel, and I don't know if this was coming off of having just watched Lady Gaga not be fully Lady Gaga. But... Um, it felt like she was kind of Hot Topic merch, Harley Quinn fan version of Lady Gaga. You've never been to Hot Topic, have you? I've, I, you I'm i aware of it. You, you, you've seen it on Del Grassi. Just admit it, Charlie. Hey, that's Canada. I don't know if I even have one there. I, I've seen American culture. Enough seeps through, like, osmosis. No, I, I think, you know, it, it's it, you're, you're probably right. Like, the song... The song was fine. Basically that. It didn't really make any waves. Uh, what will, hopefully, is have a return of Harcourt Fenton Mud. So, Mars, are you ready to make the sanest man go mad? If I, if I didn't, I'd be having gibbets on a beach. Okay. Well, enjoy those gibbets on a beach. Go. Harry Fencourt Mud has been arrested. Again. He he's on a he's on a ship, and he's been taken to the Federation to get handed over for some sweet sweet bounty money. Um, he tries to smooth talk his way. He tries to bribe his way out, but the the bounty hunter, the Tellerite bounty hunter, isn't buying. Especially since Harry slept with his sister and stole his prized familial cudgel. As Harry like tries all his different escape attempts, we get flashbacks. This story has layers, like Inception, to see other times that Harry has tried to get out of similar situations in same but different ways, and none of them work. Each la- each layer we go down, as we go deeper. Uh, we see that each of Harry's plans ended the same way. Him being handed over to the Federation. The Tellerite and Harry beam over to the Federation ship. And the Federation officer goes, Oh, God, you're one of them, aren't you? And the Tellerite's like, You what, mate? And it turns out that um, someone's been flooding the market with bootleg Harry Fencourt mud androids who are all in a room just talking to each other about gibbets on a beach, whatever the fuck that means. And the Tellerite realizes, oh shit, I've been swindled. Because it turns out the person who sold him a perfectly good 100% minting card, Harry Fencourt Mud, was actually Harry Fencourt Mud, who is flooding the market with bootleg, hollow foil, Harry Fencourt Muds, who are all serving for him. And as the story ends... Um, Harry Fencourt Mud is gonna sell some other poor rube. Ooh. Another Harry. <laughs> we'll call that a second. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so Charlie. Yes. What the fuck is a gibbet? I don't know. I miss. Well, I mean, it's evidently a cocktail. Lucky at all that. But um, yeah, I. Don't know offhand. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this was fun. It felt very much like uh, Rain Wilson kind of just noodling. Yeah. The only two things I've seen Rain Wilson in apart from this is The Office and the James Gunn film Super. 
Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, he definitely murders the guy with a hammer. Yeah. Yeah, and this was a fun little short, like a 2000 AD future shock, where it's a five-page short story to just then end delivers in like a, a neat little twist. Yeah. Again, like Calypso, it feels like exactly what I wanted from short treks. Like these these tiny weird little vignettes. So a jipper is, according to Rain Wilson, lotus fruit flash frozen along with the blood of a flea blocks, just a hint of lime, as well as a hundred proof grain alcohol. So there you go. <laughs> okay, as someone who is drunken grain alcohol in the form of Everclear never again. No. No. Yeah, you'd have to be a robot to enjoy that. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was a joy. It was good fun. Yeah. Um I think this is probably the last time we see him before the original series. But yeah, he's someone who I was thinking the um while I was watching it about when we were saying Paul Wesley was being Kirk, he wasn't being Shatner. This feels like being Mud, not being the actor of Mud. Yeah. Like, I've seen Mud's women at some point in my life. And, like, you know, Rain Wilson isn't a huge ham actor in the same way. He, he doesn't have that theatrical bombacity. He does have that kind of... He has. He definitely has that kind of sleazy used car dealer who's way in over his head. Yeah, and the only way he knows to go is just digging deeper. D dig deeper and just kind of just keep spinning the wheels of the con. You know, start another con in the middle of the con you're on. Eventually, one of the all these cons will kind of level out, and you won't die. Yeah, basically that. So, where should this go on our big old list? Hmm. I I, I think it's better than Runaway. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm torn with Brightest Star, which gave me some nice insight, some nice light folk horror vibes, and taught us about a person. Well, this one was fun nonsense. Like you can definitely tell this was written by the guy that would go on to do lower deck. This does have um Rick and Morty energy. Mm. This feels like this would have been an episode of Rick and Morty where they're all robots. And at some point there'd be a joke about incest. I mean, this is a good way of persuading me to put it under brightest star. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, it's good. It does go on maybe a little longer than necessary. I think it's one level of con too many. Yeah. So, like, I, I think this will definitely be third. Cool. So, yeah, with our, our little month-long sidebar from actual casual trek, we now have a list of four items back down to single figures from where we were in the main show. And at the moment, we've got Calypso at number one, Runaway at number four. This is a very top-heavy list because these are all these have all been good fun. Um, it's, it's rare we can get an episode of Casual Trek where that is the case. And it's rare we can get an episode of Casual Trek that's this short. So, play us out. You can find us on Kofi. You can find us on Blue Sky at Casual Trek or Casual Trek Pod. Casual Trek. I got there Casual different time. Trek. Yeah. In on the ground floor with that Blue Sky. Uh, we are in theory on Twitter at Casual Trek Pod, but fuck Twitter. Fuck Twitter. Yeah. And 
yeah, next time we're going to be doing more of this because they released two seasons. And um, Miles, where can we find you if people want to catch up with you? You can you can find me having jippers on an Innsmouth. Oh, no, no, not on Innsmouth, an Isthmus. Oh, yeah. No, oh, okay. Yeah. Innsmouth would have been a bit, yeah. a bit fishy. It's very fishy. So you can find me on my personal blog at mareadlobato.wordpress.com. And Charlie, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me at faketales.com or on Blue Sky. I'm Sky Shark, I think. Yeah. And Skyshark, skyshark.itch.io for my comic and role-playing supplements. Yeah, so that's it from us. We'll see you next time for some more short fun. Uh, go do a Starfleet, a short Starfleet, if you will, and um, live long and smoke me a jipper. I'll be back for breakfast. Yeah, and eat half a jelly baby. You've been listening to Casual Trek by Charlie Etheridge Nunn and Miles Reed Lobato. Music there. by Alfred Etheridge Nunn. Casual Trek's part of the Nerd and Time Network. And if you want to support us monetarily, because you love what we do that much, you can now do that by going to Coffee and looking up Casual Trek. There's a link in the show notes.